fire, earth, water, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Water Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Distorted Reality by Bathan. Epilogue. Every step forward was worse than the last. His feet blistered, his shoulder burned, his bones ached, and his parched throat begged for water. But he didn't know how much further he had to walk. The air shimmered with heat, choked with ash. He didn't see any animals. The grass under his ruined boots had withered to dry kindling. This region of the Earth Kingdom was on its way to becoming another burn. His muscles straining with protest, Aang climbed to the top of a rocky crag to survey the landscape. It was a risky move. Passing airships overhead could spot him, but it was a risk he had to take. He needed to find his friends. He had no idea if any of them survived the raid they'd attempted on War Minister Chin's newest passion project, the Sky Fortress. Aang lost all of them in the chaos and confusion, and only barely managed to escape himself. Just another failure. One after another. He shaded his eyes against the sun as he searched through the desolation. He'd come from the west, which still had fire and smoke. The north had one of the few towns still standing in this corner of the kingdom but it was on high alert for the Avatar and his companions. East led to one of the roads on the route to Ba Sing Se. Too risky. To the south, painfully distant. He could see the tops of trees, brown and sparse. But it was something. And that was where he expected the others to go if they were able to get away. They must have. His limbs faltered as he climbed down from the crag, his fatigue winning out. He tumbled. And when he landed on the dusty ground... He was too tired to move again. Distorted Reality by Bathan Epilogue The Water Empire is no more. Sokka stood at the center of the stage, dressed in a leather tunic not unlike his usual wolf armor. Only this was tailored in a style for more formal occasions, rather than war. His jaw was set in a way that made him look both calm and strong, and ready to bear all the new burdens of leadership. It'll take some time to rebuild. There are going to be obstacles almost every step of the way. Some pain, too. But if there's anything I've learned from the Avatar, it is to keep fighting through it. If you offer the hand of friendship and it is rejected, try again. If you offer mercy and compassion and receive hurt in return, then keep offering mercy and compassion until there is healing. In the coming days and years, we're all going to find ourselves struggling to choose between kindness or the easy way out. But I promise you that there is hope at the end of this road. Azula stood among the crowd gathered on Peach Petal Island, 
It's normally drab, rocky shores alight with warm paper lanterns and pink salt crystal lamps. Banners and streamers had been strewn across the mining village in celebration of the end of the war. Ships moored at the docks from all three nations, and with all the guests, the town looked more lively than it ever had. It had been Sangmu's idea to have the celebration here. Halfway between the Earth Kingdom and Southern Water Tribe, and among old air nomad territories, it fit as a location of symbolic importance to celebrate the harmony they fought for and remember all they had lost. Behind Sokka stood his grandmother and all of the other leaders gathered for the occasion. Azula saw King Kue without his warhammer, but with Bosco, alongside General Zhang and General Gan Jin representing Ba Sing Se. Zhu Zhen of the Golden City and Uncle Iroh stood side by side to represent the Fire Nation. Beside Sokka stood Yue with staff in hand, her face somehow both solemn and kind, while Liren, Hu, and even Malina accompanied them to represent a united front for Sokka's vision of the water tribes. Sokka's speech continued. But while the water nation may be dissolving, our nation is not. We are a strong people. We are a nation that prides itself in adapting to change. A nation of healers and innovators, Sokka gestured to the docks. Think of the water tribes as a ship. This ship may have struggled to stay afloat at times. It may have been lost in the night. But even though we are made up of many different people with many different ideas, we are one ship and one crew. And all of us are necessary for this ship to thrive. I will do everything in my power to guide us through the coming storm. But I know we will get through it. And together, we'll lead the way into a new era of peace. Azula clapped along, without shouting out a cheer like the rest of the crowd did. But before the celebration could really begin, Sokka held up a hand to silence them all. Please, he said, the one you should all be cheering for is the Avatar. He turned to present someone behind him, but the crowd went silent in confusion when no one was there. The Avatar, Sokka said again, louder this time. Kue adjusted his crutches and politely coughed into his hand. Aang isn't here yet, he said quietly, but loud enough for those in the front row to hear. No one wanted to tell me that? Sokka asked between grit teeth. I had that big reveal planned in my speech and everything. Next to Azula, Nagi adjusted her conical hat and spoke to Azula under her breath. Um, Azula, do you know where he went? <sighs> Azula sighed. Most of the time, the others gave her space in regards to Aang, but still they somehow seemed to think she always knew where to find him. The boy loved wandering and exploring, especially when he had other things to do. He is probably off with Sangmu and Appa somewhere, she said. I thought Sangmu at least knew better. They really are a terrible influence on each other. Sorry! The shout came riding on the wind, and in a blur of yellow and orange, Aang appeared on his glider and twirled it to fold it up again, landing beside Sokka on the stage. A crowd erupted into cheers again, and this time the drums and horns added to the cacophony. Aang grinned sheepishly over the crowd, waving to them all, but Azula looked away before his eyes could catch hers. He really is so different, Nagi said. She glanced back at Azula, apparently catching that her eyes seemed to be looking anywhere else. I know it isn't really my place, but how are you doing? I'm fine, Azula said, just checking the crowd for anyone who might not be so happy about our newfound peace. 
She really did try to focus on scanning the crowd for potential threats. She wasn't so naive to think everyone here would be welcoming to those they were at war with up until very recently. She could almost hear an echo of the blue dragon's whisper in her ears, warning her to be constantly vigilant. She still wasn't used to being free of it yet. It was a stinging sensation that alerted him. Something cool and soothing. It brought to mind the refreshing bombs of the North Pole in their short stay in the days after the comet. But that was a long time ago now. That realization woke him. Had Katara found him? When he opened his eyes, he saw someone he didn't recognize. He sat up in a hurry, wincing away from the contact, and prepared to earthbend. The earth pressed against his back braced him, and he realized he had been moved somewhere else. His shoulder throbbed in pain. The stranger, a young woman, drew back in surprise at his sudden movement, but she held out her hands in a placating gesture. She had a round face and soft eyes and a single braid tied up at the back of her head. Please, don't be alarmed. You're hurt. I'm trying to help you. His shoulder had been covered in a poultice and bandages. Aang's heart almost stopped. How much did you see? The woman furrowed her brow. Of what? He hesitated before answering. Maybe she didn't see his tattoos. My injuries. That burn on your shoulder was the worst of it, and the only one I've been able to treat. When we found you, we didn't have time for me to give you too much attention, so we had to take you with us. The army was on the move. She didn't explain more than that, letting his imagination fill in the rest. His eyes wandered over her camp. Other than her, there were barely a dozen people, all covered in dust and ash from their travels. Their possessions were meager, their packs light, and with only a single ostrich horse between them all. Will you let me finish tending your wounds? Why would you help me? he asked. You don't know who I am. You're a traveler in need, she said with a gentle smile. Why wouldn't I? In these times, most of all, we need to watch out for each other. Are you alone? I'm trying to find my friends, he said. We were separated. You can stay with us until you find them. Safety in numbers, you know. Yue joined them in the crowd, her staff causing most of it to part for her as she approached. Azula could see why. Yue looked positively regal with it. Nagi, Azula, she called out to them. Why do you two look so sullen? Nagi grasped her free hand. It's fine, she said, smiling at Yue. You were wonderful up there. Yue blushed. Oh, Sokka did most of the talking. Azula fished for something to say before either of them could pursue the topic of Aang. So, you decided to keep that staff? Yue looked up at the head of the staff, which still had a tear through the leather at the top. She nodded. Yes, I have, she said. It's a reminder. I want to find all of the dark spirits I can and help them find balance again. I think with enough effort it can be done without water spirit bending. Balance is all they really want, I think. Nagi brushed her shoulder up against Yue's, grinning. You're going to find time for that, even with all of your new responsibilities to the North Pole? I'll try my best to balance both, Yue responded, smiling back. 
Besides, I may have to travel around the world on diplomatic missions to the other nations. That may allow me to find dark spirits where misfortune gathers most. And perhaps cross paths with a certain steward of the spirit library? As she searches for ancient tomes and scrolls. Nagi laughed. Well, you better hope that search for tomes and scrolls doesn't bring me to Agnaquella at the same time you're away on one of those diplomatic missions. Azula was about to leave them alone with each other when Tai Li popped up between them. She had a headdress of pink salt crystals with more trailing from it down her shoulders that sparkled like gems, as well as a series of rings and necklaces and even a pink beaded medallion around her neck in the style of the Sun Warriors. Azula wondered how much the whole ensemble weighed. Hey, has anyone seen Harun Gashan? Tylee asked. Yue shook her head. Did you miss them? They said they were leaving for Jiduan on a ship a few hours ago. What? Tylee exclaimed. Already? Without saying goodbye? Those jerks. They're missing all the fun. Azula's breath fogged up in her face as she quietly slipped away from them. She wasn't really sure if she was up for partying herself. Perhaps Haru and Gashan had the right idea to split before it even started. She knew Haru worried about his father and his people in the Fire Nation after the battle under Seryu's moon, but she wasn't sure why Gashan went with him after all he went through to make sure his sister was safe. She supposed everyone wanted to move on with their lives in their own ways. She walked by a series of street-side stalls, selling food from all four nations, the mixture of spices and aromas making her wrinkle her nose. She wondered if she ought to try one of everything while she could, especially while her stomach growled. A hand grasped her shoulder from behind, jostling her from her thoughts. Azula? Azula stiffened, but turned to Tylee, letting her face settle into an easygoing mask. She hadn't even noticed the clinking of all of Tylee's pink jewelry. Hi, Tylee. Having fun? Ty Lee beamed at her, shaking her head so the dangling stones from her headdress clinked together. Oh, you bet! I love how pink everything is here! Sorry you missed Haru and Gashan, she said. I'm sure they didn't purposely leave without saying goodbye to you. It might have just been too hard. But she didn't really know either of them all that well, so who was she to say? It's fine. I'm sure I'll see them around, she said, waving her hands. I think they were just eager for some time alone. Azula blinked. They were? Oh, we can gossip about that another time, she said, steering Azula away to the entrance of the mines, where it was quieter. I really just wanted to talk to you. I can see right through you, Azula. I know you've got a lot on your mind, but it's okay. I'm here for you whenever you need someone to talk to. Azula put a hand on her hip and smiled. I know, Tylee, she said. Thank you. I'll be okay, really. I'm not some lovesick moron who'll keep pining forever. Tylee grasped Azula's hand with both of hers and squeezed, laughing. Okay, good. I mean, it's totally okay to pine. Take all the time you need. It's not like he's, you know, dead or anything. It's more like he's some boyfriend who had to move far away. Azula laughed into her fist. I guess it's not far from the truth. The first night they made camp by a shrine to a forgotten spirit, some ways away from a crossroads. The group of refugees had been heading south, towards Yudao, and Aang figured that was as good a destination as any if he was to find his companions again. 
He didn't have his glider, and with his wounds he figured it was best to stay with these people, at least until they reached the Fire Nation colony, especially since water was a precious resource, and he didn't want to use his healing unless he had to. He mostly kept to himself as they traveled, and avoided telling them his name, but no one really asked, and he didn't ask them, in turn. But he did learn snippets of their stories. One, an elder, had once been the proprietor of a poetry house in Ba Sing Se, and she was looking for her girls. One man made paper in his time before the comet, and had apparently been wealthier than most provincial governors, but he was kind and good with the two children among their company. One of the children, a boy of about ten, was accompanied by his older brother, a former soldier and the main protector of their band. The other child was a toddler who had lost her parents, currently being looked after by a woman that Aang had a feeling had been a bandit even before they'd all lost everything. The bandit had been the only one who prayed to the shrine when they found it. Aang did learn the healer's name one night when they made camp, and it was when the soldier called out to her after dinner. Hey, Song! How about a song? Song's eyes lit up, but then she hesitated. Oh, I would, but I have to look after our new companion's injuries. Aang shook his head. He didn't miss her momentary enthusiasm. Don't worry about me. Go ahead. She nodded in thanks, and sat next to the poet who provided the lyrics, and the soldier provided the beat by using his shield as a drum. When they found their rhythm, the children jumped up to dance. The bandit and the papermaker clapped along, and some others eventually joined in with the singing. Song held out a hand to Aang for him to dance with her, but didn't push when he shook his head. Aang only sat, and he watched. There's something else I wanted to tell you, actually, Ty Lee said, standing up straight again, with her hands folded behind her back, kicking her foot. I've got to go back to the Golden City again in a couple of days. You'll never guess what happened. Right when the fighting began, all of my sisters came back home to help defend the city. And we all decided that instead of just one of us ruling, we'd all rule the city together whenever our dad steps down. She spread her arms out wide as if presenting something to Azula that she couldn't see. The Seven Sisters Sovereigns. How does that sound? That would be quite some leadership system, Azula said. Eyes wide. But if anyone can make it work, I think it would be you. Tylee gave her a proud smile. Thanks, and I have an important question for you. I know that you're not really into the quiet village life anymore, right? Definitely right, Azula said, nodding. She had no desire to go back home to her village anytime soon, even if Zuko and Luten wanted to. How would you like to come with me to the Golden City? she asked. You could be one of my advisors. I think it would suit you really well. Azula had a hard time hiding her surprise, but she crossed her arms after picturing the idea in her head. I don't know, Tylee, she said. It was something to consider, something she might even grow to like, but it almost seemed too mundane. I think I'm needed elsewhere. There's so much work to do. Ty Lee flipped her braid over her shoulder and held it with both hands. She had even woven something into her hair so that it sparkled in the torchlight. Well, think it over. No pressure, but it's an option for you. Azula took a step towards Ty Lee and hesitated for just a moment, but she allowed herself to follow through with her initial instinct and hugged her friend around her shoulders. It was now or never, 
Thank you, Tylee, she said. I appreciate it. Tylee froze, as if stunned that Azula initiated the hug, but she returned it with gusto, shaking Azula back and forth. Ah, of course, Azula. Okay, okay, Azula said, letting go. Ease up. Your salt crystals are digging into me all over. Sorry, she said with a laugh, separating from her. Okay, I'm going to go find the others. You make sure to have fun tonight, okay? I will, she said, as Tylee returned to the party with a bounce in her step. Azula watched her go and then turned to see a crowd of people forming at the edge of the firelight, just beyond the ring of lanterns. Shadowed shapes at all different heights, as if there were people crouching. She narrowed her eyes, growing tense as she crept on over, expecting the worst. But as she neared, she realized that they weren't people crouching. They were children of all different heights, the Freedom Fighters. And they were jubilant about something. All of them clustered around people at the center of their circle. They feasted together on so much food that Azula wondered if they were having a separate celebration of their own. A few of them saw Azula coming and warmly welcomed her. The Duke even pulled her by the hand into their circle, and someone else gave her a chicken pig drumstick. And she was getting so hungry that she didn't even deny it, despite not having a plate. Sitting in the middle of the circle around an earthen table of their own, Toph and Jet faced each other. The two leaders of the Freedom Fighters reunited. To Azula, it felt tense, even with the high spirits of everyone else around them. Neither of them were eating. The air between them had the same weight as two rival governors, or even warlords, discussing the terms of their business dealings. It all seemed almost ritualistic, especially with Smellerby and Longshot flanking Jet like bodyguards. Bandit, Jet said. Jet, said Toph. Jet folded his hands together and leaned forward. I've had time to consider your request, he said, and I have decided to decline. You are not allowed back into the Freedom Fighters. Decline? Toph kicked her feet up on the table. Didn't expect that from you. What's your reason? The code says that when we give ourselves to the Freedom Fighters, we go in with names chosen for ourselves, and that will decide who we are from then on. Jet brushed his hair out of his eyes. And you decided a while back that you're not bandit anymore. Toph didn't look phased in the least, stretching her arms out with a yawn. <sighs> oh, gotcha. Fair enough. Azula stepped into their circle, brow furrowed. What do you mean, fair enough? The Toph I know doesn't take no for an answer, sitting down without a care in the world. Eh, I didn't really want to join back up anyway. Toph said, picking at some of the food strewn about their table. I only wanted to join so I could get some help with rebuilding Gaoling. But the code says you can only ask something of the Freedom Fighters if you're a member. I helped make that rule myself. Gaoling, eh? Jed asked, tearing into his own chicken pig leg. With that guy Jin Fu, right? Yeah, Toph said. I was thinking we could form a new division of the Freedom Fighters, since you guys won't need to be doing much freedom fighting anymore. Maybe something focused on rebuilding places damaged by the war. Oh, there'll still be some fighting, Jet said, matter-of-factly. You know that people won't accept these changes so easily. But you're right, we more or less have the freedom we've wanted. I don't think our code to fight the Water Tribe at any opportunity really works anymore, though. We picked up some new recruits right out of Eniocto. Azula didn't notice it at first, but she did see a handful of children among the crowd who did look Water Tribe. 
Maybe if even Jet could look past the divide between nations, the rest of the world might come to do the same in time. She found herself unexpectedly heartened by the thought. You've really changed, Azula said to him. Jet looked at her, a glint of something in his eyes that made Azula think he was remembering their first meeting, just as she was. So have you, he said. He looked back at Toph and drummed his fingers against the table before speaking again. You know, I just had another thought. I think I'm going to disband the Freedom Fighters. What? Jet, are you serious? Toph's only reaction was to cross her arms. Just like that? Just like that, Jet said, kicking his feet up just like Toph did. And I propose a new group. Name pending, but it'll be made of two divisions, the Builders and the Protectors. We'll come up with the new codes later. But I think we've got room for you, Toph. Toph seemed to consider it. Nah, she said at last. Thanks for the offer, but I like doing my own thing. If we both ever find ourselves in Galway, I think my people and your people can have a joint venture, though. Azula raised an eyebrow. Your people? Toph jerked a thumb at her chest. You're looking at the leader of the Badger Mole Skulls, she said. A group formed of earthbenders who don't really have anywhere to go. So I figured I'd give them something to do, a way to make up for the things they've done, and I'd keep them in line. Azula almost dropped her food. Those are the earthbenders from the wolf skulls, aren't they? I couldn't help it, Toph said, throwing her hands up. They just had such a cool name. If you've got your own group, why'd you ask to join us again? Smellerby asked. Toph gave her a cheeky grin. Oh, I just wanted Jet to ask so I could get the satisfaction of telling him no one more time, she said. Jet let out a loud bark of laughter in response and held up his drink in a toast. Everyone else in his circle laughed with him, except for Azula, who just found the whole situation quite bizarre. All right, all right, Jet said. Let's drink to the founding of two new groups that'll change the world. I'm surprised, Aang admitted to Song the next morning as she changed his bandages, that they can still find joy in all this. Maybe it's because they have to, she said. It's harder to seek joy in the midst of despair, but when you do find it, it's all the sweeter. When she removed his bandage, a hint of blue had been exposed, and she looked puzzled, but brushed it off and cleaned the burn. I'm surprised you didn't ask about that tattoo, he said. The blue stripe? she asked. I assumed you wanted to keep it a secret based on your reaction when I first found you. It was either that or a scar that shamed you, but no offense, you sort of have a lot. Aang scoffed. True, he said, but I'm still ashamed of some. Song shook her head. You have no reason to be. It means you're a fighter. I've got my fair share of scars as well, physical and otherwise. I'm sorry, Aang said. He had so many things to apologize to her for, to all these refugees. She didn't know the depths of that shame. You remind me of someone I met once, she said. He carried a lot of pain with him, too. I wonder about him sometimes. He didn't know what to say to that, and his eyes wandered to her sachet of herbs. Your stores are running low, he said, frowning. You shouldn't use all of that on me. Everyone you travel with needs it more. Nonsense, she said. If I could conceivably help you, and I don't, then it goes against everything I stand for. I can always replenish my stock. 
Not here, you can't. Nothing grows here anymore. Won't know until I try, she said, standing. She pulled her boots on, and Anne caught a glimpse of old burn scars on her legs. Why don't you and I see if we can find them? This poultice is made from moonflower leaves. He didn't think it likely, but nodded and stood with her. Maybe he'd find signs of the passage of his friends. The toddler waddled over to them, reaching for Song, who lifted the girl up onto her hip with a smile. Oh, I'm sorry, Hope. You can't come with us. Aang's eyes widened when he recognized the name. Azula allowed herself to sit with the Freedom Fighters and Toph for some time, enjoying the raucous company and opportunity to let her guard down, especially with Toph. Toph at least didn't bother to ask her how she was feeling, and Azula found it refreshing and appreciated it more than she could describe. Eventually, she departed from their circle with the excuse of going to find a bathroom, squeezing Toph's shoulder as she passed. She found Sokka, Suki, and Kana next. All three had been surrounded by people through most of the night, but Azula managed to slide in at their bench by one of the bonfires. Sitting with all three of them at a massive feast, next to a roaring fire that warmed Azula to her bones, she could barely remember a time when they had fought each other. Nice speech, Azula told Sokka by way of greeting. How many drafts did it take you to write it? Suki laughed into her hand, but Sokka turned his nose up at her. Only six, he said. I winged the bit about the Water Tribes being a ship, though. Clever, right? I was proud of that one. Oh, yeah, said Suki. I'm sure no one has made that comparison before. Sokka glared at her, which only made her laugh more. Well, it's appropriate. I know, I know, Suki amended, her hand lingering on his shoulder. I was just teasing. It was a great speech. It was, sarcasm aside, Azula said, leaning toward him and nudging his shoulder with hers. Sokka's face relaxed, and he dug back into his food. Thank you, he said. Aang showing up late kind of stole my thunder, though. He said he got distracted by a polar wolf dog pup that he found and wanted to adopt, saying we would talk him out of it. Suki propped her chin up on her hands. And you both have to train him in bending again? I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, said Sokka. He glanced at Azula. We made a promise to someone. Fire first, though. I'm going to be busy establishing our new government and all that for a while. If the boy takes to bending as quickly as he did the first time, it'll be your turn to train him again soon enough, said Kana. But don't worry, I'll be there to help when you're busy. He'll have enemies, Azula said, lowering her voice. He'll have to be protected until he's strong enough to handle them himself, Sokka furrowed his brow. Yeah, he said after a moment but hopefully no really dangerous ones for a while. Azula crossed her eyes and leaned back. Any word on Katara? Suki averted her eyes. Nothing new about where she is. But we do know she is together with Hama, at least, Kana said, holding a salt lamp on her lap with a lit candle inside it. Hama found her after your battle. I believe in my heart that they are looking out for each other, supporting each other. It brings me hope that they will help each other make amends, too. Do you have any reason to believe they'd help each other do that? Azula asked. She would have thought they would just be scheming something together, if anything. Both of them have lost everything, she replied. 
except for each other. That has to count for something. We learn from the Wolverine Skunk Clan that Hama was the one who sent them back to Aniokto to fight on our side. She had no reason to do that except for, I hope, goodwill. I hope they're there for each other, too, Sokka said. And when Katara's ready to come to us for help, I'll be there. We will be there, Suki corrected him. And Yue, too. What about you, Azula? Azula shook her head. I don't plan on it. Suki frowned, but Sokka put his bowl of broth down. Azula, can I talk to you for a second? <sighs> Azula exhaled, hesitating for a moment. Sure, she said. Azula and Sokka both stood, stepping away from the bonfire and back out into the cold. What's wrong? Song asked him as they searched in some dry brambles. I knew Hope, Aang said. And her parents. Oh, Song said, her eyes falling. I'm sorry. I didn't really know them. I only started traveling with this group after they were already gone. But now everyone here looks after their daughter. We won't ever leave her behind. Aang looked to the next copse of trees, just as sparse as all the others around here. I haven't thought about them in a long time. But you found her again, she said. Doesn't that count for something? As they walked, Appa soared by overhead with the laughter of almost a dozen children on his back, the lemurs trailing behind him. As soon as they were out of earshot of the others, Azula spoke with her gaze following Appa's shadow in the sky. If this is about Aang, I'd rather not. It isn't, Sokka said, crossing his arms and leaning against a stall that sold pink salt sculptures in all sorts of abstract shapes. You're planning something. Every minute of every hour of every day, she said. Mind sharing? Azula flipped her hair. You'll find out soon enough. He's not so unlike him, you know, Sokka said, rubbing traces of salt from his fingertips. He remembers everything that happened. I'm not saying to, like, start dating him or anything, but I think you should give him a chance as a friend. He knows how you feel, and I think he feels guilty. Azula frowned. I thought I said I didn't want to talk about him. When Sokka only gave her a sheepish shrug, she scowled. Well, he has no reason to feel guilty. So tell him that, he said. Azula took a deep breath of the chilly seaside air. Maybe sometime I will, she said. By the way, have you seen my father, or uncle anywhere? Or Zuko? Ozai was with some of his soldiers on the beach, doing some drills, he said. That guy really doesn't like to give anyone a break, huh? Not really, Azula said, with a hint of a smile. She started to walk towards the beach, but before she left, she looked back at him again. Thank you, Sokka. I didn't realize it at first, but I really have come to count on you. He scratched the side of his head. Thanks, I guess. And likewise. The orange of the sunset blended with the lingering ash in the air, making the sky look like rust. But still they searched, and they barely found weeds in the underbrush or leaves on trees, much less the flowers they sought. Maybe we should go back, Aang said, kneeling down to investigate the bark of a tree. Oh, you must be tired, Song said, covering her mouth. I'm sorry, 
What kind of healer am I to drag my patient out for this long? No, it's not that. I think the Fire Nation was nearby recently. This tree is scorched. I don't want to give up yet, she said, sighing. But perhaps we have been away from the others too long. As luck would have it, both her father and uncle oversaw the Fire Nation encampment on the beach. And to her surprise, Iroh had managed to convince Ozai to give the soldiers a break and partake in some festivities of their own. The soldiers sang and drank together by the light of the torches with some fellow Earth Kingdom and even Water Tribe fighters among them. Azula expected it to be more tense, but she recognized her uncle's handiwork as he played his Sungi horn together with Lu Ten and People Dance. She hesitated before approaching her father. While they had been on better terms lately than they had been in years, she still wasn't quite sure how to talk to him sometimes. He saw her lingering at the edge of the torchlight and gestured for her to join him at a low tea table set up alongside Zhao, Quinn, and some of his other ranking soldiers. She approached, wringing her hands, and offered a bow of greeting. No need for formalities, Azula, Ozai said. This is a night of celebration. Come and join us. I was hoping to speak with you privately, father, she said. Can we go to one of the tents? He nodded and frowned in a way that might have meant concern, leading the way toward his central command tent. It seemed much more sparse than usual, clean of any charts with battle tactics and soldier figurines. Azula felt too restless to sit, pacing across the tent, and Ozai remained standing as well. Now that she was alone with him, she wasn't sure how to say what she wanted to tell him. Perhaps sensing her discomfort, her father spoke first. "'I just wanted you to know that your mother would be so proud of you and Zuko,' he said, folding his hands behind his back. "'And I am as well.' Azula let out a breath, and some of her tension went with it. Thank you, she said. That means a lot. He unfolded his hands from behind his back and placed them firmly at his sides, and then on the back of one of the chairs in front of him, and then at his sides again. Things will be different now that the war is over, he said, his eyes following the empty spaces in the room. We can all go home. We can rebuild. And we can be a fam- Azula cut him off before he could finish. I'm sorry, she said, lowering her eyes. Now that he said all that- this hurt more. I won't be there. Ozai froze for a moment, and she saw his shoulders fall just enough for her to notice. I see, he said. I expect you will want to continue traveling the world. I won't try to stop you. Something like that, she said. She put a hand on her elbow and tapped her foot and forced herself to say what she wanted to say next. I'm going to try to go to Aang's world. Ozai's eyes widened, and he opened his mouth, and then closed it, and opened it again to speak in the biggest expression of shock she had ever seen in his normally impassive mask. That's... that's possible? You would truly subject yourself to another war? One that this world has already lost? Zula, I... I have seen so many things. Know so many things about the state of that world. I... I fear for you. Zula shook her head. I know, she said, gesturing as she spoke in her need to express the importance of her decision. I've seen them too. I've been speaking to three old gurus and they all think it is possible. I just, I have to go. I can't let everyone in that world keep suffering if it's possible for me to go and help. Aang is so short on allies in that world. 
They have lost so much. Ozai let out a deep breath. Is it because you love him? Azula crossed her arms. No, she said. I do, but this isn't for him. It's to help him save his world as he saved ours. It is so I can defeat the other me. She clenched her fist at her side. If Aang had been willing to sacrifice what happiness he could find in this world, then she would do the same. If I can do something and I don't, I'm not sure if I will ever be able to live with myself. I have to try. Her father paused for a long moment, lowering his head. How will I know if you'll be safe, he asked. No, I suppose I can't ask that. That would be a disservice to you. I will have to have faith, just as I did while you were off fighting in this world. He looked back at her. Then let me ask this. Will it ever be possible for you to return? Azula shook her head. I don't think so, she said. To traverse worlds successfully, she had to choose to give up this world for the other, with no desire to return. If she wavered, she had the potential to be lost. It wasn't like an Avatar's indecision, which could make all worlds potentially face peril, but it could still lead to her endangering herself. The gurus told me it would be a one-way trip, and I have to go soon while the barriers between worlds are still a little unstable. They've been fixing themselves, but... Then if you've decided, I know I won't be able to change your mind, Ozai said. But there is something I should tell you then, that I have learned from my other self. In that world, your mother is alive. Or so he thought. He didn't know where she is now, and she won't be the same as the mother you knew. But before he could finish, she stepped forward and threw her arms around him. She shut her eyes in an attempt to stop the tears, but they came anyway, and she buried her face in his chest. Thank you, she said. He hugged her in return and even kissed her forehead. I love you, Azula. Never forget that, especially in that other world. When they parted, she saw that his eyes were wet, too. Now go, my brave warrior. Fight and find your happiness. They decided to try again the next day and return to camp. That night, despite the fear, or perhaps because of it, Song and the rest sang and danced again. This time, Aang thought it felt like direct defiance, but he still didn't join. The following morning, the refugees kept moving again to avoid the Fire Nation troops. Aang worried for them, and hope most of all. But when Song went out again to find the flowers, he went with her, partially so he could also make sure their path didn't cross with enemy soldiers. True to her word, Song didn't relent. When Aang went ahead to look for danger and doubled back to find her again, she had vanished. Worried turned to panic when he shouted out her name and couldn't find her. But when he wandered off the road again to search for her, he found her leaning against a boulder, out of breath. He rushed to her side. Are you okay? Here you are, she said, panting. Come on, I need to show you something wonderful. Aang followed her, but when he questioned what she had found, she only shushed him and told him to wait and see. She brought him to a whole field of white within the shade of a forest. Aang was stunned into silence when he saw it, but Song knelt among them, and breathed in their fragrance. Most people tend to forget that moonflowers bloom in partial shade. There are enough trees and leaves left in this forest for them to thrive. And thrive they did. 
so close to Ozai's original landfall during his rebirth as the Phoenix King. And yet this force had survived. How? Aang asked, once words returned to him. I can't say, Song answered. But hidden places like this tell me the world is still worth fighting for. Azula rubbed at her eyes as she departed from the tent, but as soon as she went outside, she almost bumped right into Zuko. May stood at his side, holding his hand, and Iroh stood behind them both. Zuko had been crying as well. I heard it all, he said quietly. Pardon us for eavesdropping, said Iroh. He joined his hands together. Azula, my niece, I just want to say that while I mourn the mischance for us to be closer in this world, I know I also have my memories of this version of you, and I will always treasure them. I have chosen to stay in this world, so thank you for going there to save it in my place. I have the highest certainty that you and Aang will prevail. He enveloped her in one of his tightest hugs, and she returned it, grateful for his words. It was his decision to stay here that gave her the idea to go to Aang's world, after all. Thank you, uncle, she said. Send my love to Zuko, he said. And let your other self know that I bear her no ill will. I have plenty I want to say to her, Azula responded fiercely. But then she grinned. I'll mention it, though. Iroh walked into the tent to speak with his brother, leaving Azula outside with Zuko and May. The sounds of waves against the shore made the music further along the beach and in the village seemed distant. You'll have your own body? May asked finally. You won't just be stuck in the head of the other you? I should, Azula said. The gurus thought it would be possible at the Great Banyan. The worlds aren't crashing together anymore, and Jaibal first came to this world in his own body, according to Aang. So, you won't be coming back? Zuko asked, turning away to the darkened sea. Azula hugged her arms close to herself, partially due to the cold. No, I don't think so. I'm sorry, she forced herself to smile. It'll be up to you to train Aang in firebending. Me, he asked, turning back to her. We don't even know if my firebending will stay forever, he said his jaw. Were you going to tell me? Of course I was. She knew it was going to be hardest to say goodbye to Zuko, so she wanted to tell him last. Right after I told father. But it's too difficult to say to the others. I should have known you'd try this, he said. You'd never let Aang fight without you. Azula crossed her arms and smirked. I think the other Zuko needs a sister to support him, don't you think? When she said that, he looked so dejected that her brave face started to fall apart. He spoke so softly that she almost couldn't hear him. But what about me? I need my sister, too. She thought she had been crying and hugging far too much lately, but she still had room for more, apparently. This time, Zuko initiated it and held her tight, and she squeezed him back with everything she could muster. Oh, Zuzu, she said into his shoulder. You'll have May to look after you, got it? And Toph, and Sengmu, and all the others. May smiled at her over Zuko's shoulder. He'll be in good hands, Azula. I'll miss you, Zuko said, sniffling. So much. We all will. That world will be made better with you in it. They separated, and she smiled at him, wiping the tears from her eyes. I'll miss you too, Zuko. 
I know I can never replace you. Who knows, maybe one day, Jai Bao's dream of uniting the world safely can come true. Then we can see each other again. He rubbed his palm against his eyes. If that even happens in our lifetimes. I have faith, Azula said. She would remember everything about this night for as long as she lived. The warmth of the fires and all of her goodbyes that she would hold close to her heart. And if not, we'll find a way to keep in touch. Maybe even send letters to the spirit world or something. Zuko laughed. <laughs> That's an idea. I'll work on that. I know you can do anything you set your mind to, brother, she said. I'll be waiting for you. So promise me you'll try and I'll do the same. Zuko let out a breath. Tension releasing from his posture, and he gazed towards the surf, lapping against the rocky shore. I promise. That sounds perfect. Aang stayed with the refugees for another week until they made it to Yu Dao. Just a day after he parted ways from Song, he found his friends again, taking shelter in the ruined husk of an abandoned farm. He embraced them all when he found them and all of them shed tears upon reuniting. It was the longest any of them had ever been apart since the comet, and they had feared the worst. A few days later, after more fighting and fleeing, Aang announced to them that he would try going to the spirit world again, try to connect to his past lives again. But it's been so long since you last tried, said Toph. What's different now? Desperation, Zuko grunted, leaning back against Appa. But if you think it'll work... Sokka fed Momo on his shoulder. What if it's not possible anymore? Katara looked sympathetic, her brow furrowed in worry. She knew how hard on himself he was every other time he failed. Aang. Aang sat in a lotus position, the song and dance around campfires in his head. While he'd been hesitant to call it hope, he knew he had found something. The courage to try again. It's always worth another try. Maybe this time, I'll find something wonderful. He closed his eyes. It had been three years since he last journeyed to the spirit world. She had Aang fly her to the foggy swamp the next morning. It was just the two of them. Aang sensed her somber mood and didn't push her to speak but she didn't tell him why she wanted to go there. He seemed to know regardless. He was more perceptive than she thought. She wondered how much this Aang and the other had in common. The Great Banyan was the spine between all worlds, connected them together with the Tree of Time at its roots. With it, she would be able to see the road that brought her to the other world, treading the same path that Jai Bell did before her. When they both climbed down from Appa onto the tree's roots, she put a hand on Aang's shoulder. Listen to me, she said. She had the previous night's conversation with Sokka in mind, the whole journey over, and figured this would be her only chance to say what she wanted to. I don't blame you for anything. This is your world and your life to live. He bunched up his shoulders and looked sad for some reason. But it's not your world anymore, is it? You've made up your mind? I have, she said with a smile. Keep this world safe, will you? I will, he promised. I have a responsibility to it, and I won't run away. But you don't have any responsibilities to any world, so why? 
Because I've chosen to keep fighting, she answered, turning toward the great tree's trunk. There's someone I need to defeat and people I need to save. It's as simple as that. He clutched his staff with both hands and looked as if he were about to say something, but apparently decided against it and nodded. He didn't leave, and Azula found herself glad she at least had Aang to see her off. With the instructions of all three gurus in her head, she sat down under the tree and meditated. She didn't know if it would work, but she had to believe it would. Her heart felt too full, carrying the wishes of everyone she cared about in it. She knew she had difficult battles ahead, and a life full of perhaps more perils than she'd faced yet, but she felt prepared. Maybe she would even manage to understand her other self, to face her as an equal. Finding Aang again would just be an added bonus. She felt connected. The great Banyan's roots stretched out to infinity. And for the first time, she really understood how the whole world really could have come from one tree. Time and space intertwined together. She knew then that she would never be truly separated from the people in this world that she loved. When she opened her eyes, she saw the lion turtle. The end. Author's Notes Here we are, finally complete. I have a few more things I'd like to say, so if you're interested, please head on over to the next chapter for my final notes. If not, please let me know what you thought of the ending. I'd love to hear from you all one last time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, like, subscribe, or favorite to show your support. You can find us on Tumblr at avatardistortedreality-podcast. You can find us on Twitter at atladistortpod and on Reddit at distortedrealitypod. If you already follow us on social media, please reblog, retweet, or upvote our posts to show your support. Feel free to message us on social media or send an email to avatardistortedrealitypodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us a tip for the work that we do, there is a support button on our Anchor site, anchor.fm slash atla-distorted-reality. Of course, we appreciate but do not expect tips. To contact Distorted Reality's author, Dathan, you can find him on Tumblr at Cogflox. That's C-O-G-F-L-O-X on Tumblr. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy Distorted Reality, whether it's the work itself or our content, please share it with them. All art used was created by Tumblr user Avatar Distorted Reality. Not Avatar Distorted Reality dash podcast, that's us. They are also responsible for translating scenes into comic book form, which is one of the more famous ways that people have been introduced to the fic. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.